Welcome to The Real Demons of Pop Culture. My name is James Ippoliti, your guide through pop culture's underworld, unearthing the origins and eerie allure of pop culture's captivating demonic realm. You may know me as Dr. J, the TikTok famous demon hunter and knower of things. In this episode, I'm taking us back to a film that turned 100 years old on March 4th, 2022. It's the oldest surviving Dracula film and the first to be released. This is the story of Nosferatu and vampires. Coming to get you, Barbara. I'll swallow your soul! All right, welcome again. This is Season 2, Episode 3. The Real Demons of Pop Culture is listener-supported, so I would love for you to join the subscription each subscription level, let me give you to them now. Tier one is Shout Out to Devil, $3 a month. I'll shout out your name at the end of every episode. Tier two, Straight to Hell, $5 a month. You get a shout out and access to episodes a week early. And tier three, The Secret Society is $8 a month. You get the shout out, early access, and bonus episodes. The bonus episodes we have so far are the Japanese scary doll, Okiku, and then Carl Pruitt, the chainsaw strangler, vengeful ghost. And then we will have the story of Elizabeth Bathory with this episode. So those are the tiers. I hope you want to support the show so it can keep going. And check the show notes. There's other ways you can support. Now let's get into the magic number. Oops. There we go. I think I'll leave that in. Usually I cut that out, but I'm, I'm going to leave the mistake in. So the way this works is I think of a number between 1 and 50. I'll count down 3, 2, 1. I'll think of a number at the end of the episode. I will reveal that number. If you get the number correct, you will have an extra special magical day. And if you don't, you'll have a good day. It just won't be extra special. I don't make up the rules. Ozzy Osbourne does. All right. Here we go. Oh, it's thundering out. Three, two, one. All right, I hope you wrote that number down. I'll reveal it at the end of the episode. And that, my friends, is the magic number. All right, this week's episode is Vampires and Nosferatu. And I was thinking about the earliest example of a vampire in pop culture that I would have experienced, and I settled on the Count from Sesame Street. And I'm sure most of you out there can agree with me that that might be our first introduction into the undead vampire world, the Count. And I still love the Count. I think he's a great puppet or Muppet. I'm sure we can all agree that the Count is the gateway drug to vampire lore. Then I guess I would suspect that the next introduction in my youth would have been Salem's Lot. Now, Salem's Lot is a Stephen King novel that was made into a TV show with David Soul from Starsky and Hutch fame. It scared the crap out of me as a child. 
And the part that scared me the most is when the kid is floating outside his friend's window, scratching at the window, asking to be let in. And just this past year, I actually met the actor who played that kid. I got him to sign my Salem's Lot VHS tape. He wrote on it, let me in, which was really funny. So I was really happy to kind of confront that fear in real life. He was not scary in real life. But that would be my next kind of vampire introduction as a child. That would have been in the 70s. After that, it gets a bit blurry. But by the time I was 21, I was in a band and I wrote a song called Modern Day Dracula. And that song was basically about back then I would be up all night and then racing home before the sun would come up and going to bed. And I remember thinking like I felt like a vampire because I just wanted to get into bed and close the curtains and not have the sunlight around me. So that's where that song came from. And that was around the time that Bram Stoker's Dracula was released and Anne Rice was a big deal back then. And so why am I choosing to focus on Nosferatu? Well, not just because it is the earliest thing. I feel like it really captures the undead, awful, disgusting vampire uh, lore prior to Bela Lugosi showing up and being romantic and having that sort of royal count vibe going on. Speaking of Salem's Lot, I remember also when I was around 21, and this would have been back in the VHS days, I was hanging out with some friends and I was telling them how it's like the scariest thing ever. So we went out to Blockbuster or, or Video Works or whatever the place was that I rented videos and we got Salem's Lot. We brought it home. Now, I don't know if I remembered it was made for TV. I probably did. But I forgot how cheesy the cuts are because what happens is it's almost like a soap opera. Right before the commercials, they would like freeze on the face of someone and then it would go to commercial. But on VHS, there's no commercial. So it would have this weird freeze that was almost laughable. And everyone was laughing and kind of thinking I'm a wuss because of this movie being scary. And they didn't think it was scary at all at 21. But I still think it's a great film. And I stand by the scariness of it. There you have it. My journey from Sesame Street to Bram Stoker's Dracula to writing my own th anthem for vampires. And I really do enjoy vampires. I really did like Anne Rice's novels. And I liked her sort of portrayal of vampires. And there's all different portrayals of how a vampire should be from Bram Stoker on. And let's just talk about some of the themes and symbolism, the impact that vampires have, because, you know, they're cool. They've been in popular stories, movies, TV shows for a very long time. So what is the kind of special thing about them that people find interesting? I'll give you a couple. So the one thing I think people really dig about vampires is that they live forever. They don't get old. They don't die like us. They stay young and live for a really long time, and that's pretty cool. And I think that's one of the big attractions about vampires is this immortality and this prolonged youthfulness that you, if you get bit at the right age, you can continue to be that age forever. I don't think I'd want to be bit. I don't know if it matters if you get bit when you're old because you're no longer like feeble. You'll still have vampire strength and you won't have to worry about going to a doctor. 
So I guess it doesn't really matter what age, but if you want to be attractive, I guess you want to be bit when you're younger. Although the reason why I brought up Nosferatu is because I like the unattractive vampire. I think that movie holds up because of the creepiness of the, like just watching it again, you can go on YouTube and watch this. It's just so well done and so eerie. Thing that I loved about it was Max Schreck was so good in that and the makeup was so good that there's this urban legend that he was actually a real vampire. And that is what inspired the film Shadow of the Vampire. And that was out in the year 2000. Great movie. What are other cool things about vampires? Well, they're charming, right? They can be really flattering. They have this special charm. It makes them attractive to people. They're really good at convincing other people to like them. And that's kind of cool. A little bit dangerous. It's also a warning, right? We got these bad guys and, you know, all the people who like the bad boy. That's what a vampire is. They're charming and they're also bad. They're a little dangerous. And so there's an allure there. And so we see that throughout our vampire tales. Now, they need blood, of course. They have this strong desire for blood. It's what keeps them going. And drinking blood is their way of surviving, even though that might be weird and creepy. It's just how they are. When I'm on TikTok and I'm playing the role of Dr. J, Demon Hunter, a lot of vampires come at me. And these are people who really believe, I don't know if they really believe they're vampires as much as I believe I'm a demon hunter, but they come at me big time. The vampires. I've never had like somebody who thinks they're a werewolf come at me. Witches don't come at me. But vampires do. They really don't like me pretending to be a demon hunter because they're blood-sucking fiends, and that's evil. But they're all like, well, wait a minute. What if I'm just feasting on rabbit's blood? I don't think PETA would like them, but they're supposed to be, it's just who I am, and I like blood. I need blood, and how dare you call me evil? And it's like, nah, it's not the way vampires work in my book. The idea is if you're... Bitten by a vampire, you lose your soul. You're basically no longer this good person. Another thing really cool, vampires are night creatures, right? Like bats are night creatures. Go back and listen to my season one episode of Lilith because Lilith evolves eventually into a vampire. She's not a vampire early on, but that eventually becomes the idea we have of Lilith. But Lilith is definitely a night creature and there's a lot of times where the owl is used as a representation of Lilith. And that is true with any kind of creature of the night. We associate them with animals of the night, like owls and bats. Vampires love the nightlife. They love the nightlife. They love to boogie on the disco round. That's uh, vampires, yeah. They love to boogie. It's another... Attraction. We like the night. We like to kind of uh, be charming, eternal creatures of the night. Now, they're also really strong. And this is this is cool, too. You know, they're very strong. They can beat you up. And a lot of people want to be strong. They're not like regular humans. Powerful monsters. The other thing about vampires I think that attracts people is that they are outsiders, right? They're different. They're misunderstood. They might feel like they don't belong. They're different from everybody else. And this reminds a lot of people how they might feel in real life. So I think that's what attracts people when it comes to vampires. And we have sometimes vampires who have the ability to want to change or be better. 
I know we have Angel in Buffy, and we'll get to Buffy later. There's the idea that there are some that we want to like, and they're not really bad. And I think we have that also in Twilight. I could go on and on for pop culture examples when it comes to vampires. As much as I think everybody says it starts with Bram Stoker, there was a book called Camilla that was, I think, released before Bram Stoker's Dracula. But this is like that time period, the 19th century. It is like this amazing gothic literature time where vampires started to come out. And again, then we go to Nosferatu, and Nosferatu is basically Dracula, but in order not to get sued or have to pay rights or whatever, they did it different. So it's not Count Dracula, it's Count Orlock. And we'll get into some of the trivia about that movie. After that, Universal comes out with their Universal Monsters with Dracula, and that's in the 30s. And then there's all kinds of movies that come out where it's like Son of Dracula, all these things that they do with Frankenstein and the mummy, and then they have a bride or they have a son or something like that. The 70s come, we get the kind of disco type Dracula with Blackula, which I talked about Blackula in Candyman last week, just briefly, just the fact that there was a Blackula. And then there are plenty of vampire stories and movies that go on. And then in the 90s, the Bram Stoker thing was a pretty good. I actually think it's a great movie. The look of the vampire is great. I think everyone's good in it with the exception of Keanu Reeves. And I love Keanu Reeves. Don't get me wrong. It's just like it was Bill and Ted sort of Bill and Ted's vampire adventure or something. He's like, oh, what am I doing here? I don't know. There's just something about it that was like he did not fit. But other than that, I think the movie was great. Vampires sort of fell out of favor a little bit, I would say, until Twilight. And then I feel like it came back. But we have a big problem with Twilight, right? Because Twilight takes some liberties with the vampire lore. The idea that they don't burn up in the sun, but they glitter. This bothered a lot of people, and it bothers me. I think it's, I actually think it's a great twist. But I think it's a corny twist and I don't like it, but I think it was great for the writer to sort of explain why they avoid the sunlight without having them die in the sunlight. Now it's time for Buffy did that. Hello, I'm Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And yes, Dr. J is correct. I did do this. All right. Well, we could easily say Buffy did that because everything's about the Vampire Slayer, right? So that was the 90s. Another vampire thing comes along. But the one thing I wanted to talk about, because we could go on with all the different vampires, but the one that they did was Dracula, right? So Buffy did do an episode with Dracula, and he was like this legend, and he comes into Buffy's world, and everybody's kind of wooing over him. I did not like that episode. I really did not like who they chose as far as the look for this Dracula, the actor. I thought it was cheesy and goofy, and I did not like it. But Buffy did do a Dracula episode, and if you want to check it out and see what I'm talking about, it is not my favorite episode. In fact, it's so, like, I can't even talk about it that much because I really don't recall much of it. I just remember not liking it. And I've watched Buffy's seasons multiple times. Like, I know some episodes, like, by heart, but this one, I just, eh, every time it comes up, I just want to skip it. So Buffy did do that. A lot. But that's the episode that comes to mind when I think about vampires, because it is all vampires. But the fact that they brought the legendary Dracula into it, I thought it was a really clever idea, just not uh, executed at well at all. Now, let's go back to uh, Nosferatu and let's talk about some trivia. 
One of the things I love about this film, it came 100 years ago. We're talking 1922, this movie comes out. When you watch it, there's something there. There's something creepy about that film that makes you feel uncomfortable. And that's why I chose it as the headliner of vampire movies and TV shows and stuff like that. If you know anything about filmmakers, you might know Werner Herzog. And in 1998, he was on the show with Terry Gross, and he says that he feels that Nosferatu is the greatest German film ever made. And he directed a remake, Nosferatu the Vampire, in 1979. The vampire's name is not Nosferatu. That's what a lot of people think. The vampire's name is actually Orlok. Nosferatu is an archaic Romanian word for vampire. The origins of that word, they're unknown, which is creepy too. Another wonderful thing about this movie is that the bizarre looking buildings are not special effects or something built for the film. Orlok's home was actually a set of warehouses and the buildings have been preserved and still exist today in 2023, more than 100 years after the filming. So I'm sure they have tours there. You want to go look at that. Now, of course, Nosferatu was a silent film. Depending on what version you're watching, you might hear different music and stuff like underneath that. Um, and there's a lot of different restored versions of it and colorized versions. So they've been playing around with this movie for more than 100 years. Now, that movie's 1922, right? We have Bram Stoker's book in 1897. But what about the historical origins of vampires, right? Why do they even exist? Because they have a rich history, legends, folklore, all different cultures, all, the, all over the world, they have these vampire ideas. So we definitely have it in ancient civilizations such as Mesopotamia, which I talked about, the uh, Lalitu. You'll see if you listen to my old, uh, you know, my season one Lilith, you'll hear a lot about Mesopotamia in that. There's also vampires in ancient Greece, ancient Egypt, but they're different than the vampires we know today. Most of these old demons might have been out for blood, but they aren't really thought of as the way we look at vampires today. They were just like night creatures seeking blood or seeking to kill you or kill your babies or kill your little bratty kids. That's basically what those were, but they weren't really called vampires. And it wasn't until like the uh, 18th or 19th century stories about vampires became very popular in Europe. And one of the most famous is, of course, Dracula by Bram Stoker. By the way, if you want to listen to our Bookworms Horror podcast, that's a podcast where myself and Regina St. Clair, who is a horror author, we talk about, you know, ways of... Producing more if you're a writer, especially in a horror genre. And Regina just went to StokerCon in Pittsburgh, and there's a new episode about that. So I just brought that up because I read Stoker. Stoker's novel introduces the iconic character of Count Dracula, a vampire from Transylvania. And that's kind of where we have the modern image of vampires. Their abilities, weaknesses, association with biting necks and drinking blood. But even before Dracula, there were legends and beliefs about vampires in Eastern Europe. People in those regions believed that vampires were undead creatures who rose from the graves at night to prey upon the living. They were said to have pale skin, fangs, the ability to transform into bats or wolves. Oh, that's a really cool trivia thing, too, from Nosferatu. They had this one scene where 
Um, we have the character who is supposed to be meeting Count Orlock, and he's going to talk about real estate with him so he can buy the house that's across the street from the main character. And he stops at this bar, and it's very... Well, I don't want to say it's reminiscent of, because I think the American Werewolf in London movie, they stop at this tavern called the uh, Slaughtered Lamb. Love that name. That scene in American Werewolf in London is very similar to the scene in Nosferatu, so much so that I, I definitely feel it's a direct inspiration. Like, it's definitely inspired by that scene. When the main character says the name Count Orlock, everybody's like, oh my God, you know, they're scared. And they talk about a wolf, but it's not really a wolf. It's like a striped hyena in a film. They don't really put, it. it is a kooky looking dog, but it's not a wolf. This is kind of what people believed and that vampires could only be killed by wooden stakes through the heart, decapitation, or exposure to sunlight. Now, we know that this is something that people truly believed because we have archaeological evidence of bodies that have been staked to the ground or even chained to the ground. So they were afraid so much that these bodies would rise and attack everyone. That when they suspected somebody of being a vampire, they would dig them up and then like stake. That's where the kind of wooden stake type thing comes from. They would stake them into the ground so they couldn't get out or sometimes chain them. They would have different things they could do, uh, put things in the skeleton's mouth. But this is something that people actually believe. And there's archaeological evidence for this. Probably the reason why was because of disease in these small little villages they would believe that somebody was rising from the grave and killing people, but it was really just a disease. Another thing that happened, when they dug somebody up, they noticed that their hair was longer, their fingernails were longer, and they didn't understand decomposition enough to understand what was really going on. There would be blood at the mouth. They would say, oh my God, how, why is there blood at the mouth? He must have woke up, crawled out of his grave and bit somebody, and that's why there's blood on the mouth. But when decomposition happens, like your skin's receding, so therefore it looks like your hair's growing longer, but it's not. It's just that the scalp is going back. And then the same thing with your fingernails, your skin's receding, and it looks like your fingernails are growing, but they're not. And the blood is just coming from internally coming out of the mouth. So all these things that now we can prove scientifically what they meant scared people enough to buy into the vampire lore. And that is why they had these little tips and tricks of keeping them in their graves. It was definitely associated with superstition, fears surrounding death, disease, the unknown. And they took precautions to prevent loved ones becoming vampires. Uh, they would place garlic or crucifixes in the coffin or drive a stake through the heart, as we said. So these stories, they take hold. And people start writing fiction about them, literature, films, all kinds of things in pop culture. And it's interesting that I don't believe at any point in these early days there was any seduction going on. This was just gross, dead things coming and killing people. And there was no pretty boy vampire. But that eventually does come, the seduction part. And we have the themes of immortality and forbidden love and struggle between good and evil. One of the things people feel they know as a historical fact, but probably isn't that much, just maybe a little inspiration, is the fact that Dracula was the Prince Vlad Tepes from Romania, Vlad the Impaler. I think Stoker took some things from Vlad Tepes and Vlad the Impaler. Overall, you don't go to Romania and they see him as some kind of blood-drinking sadist. 
They see him as a national hero who defended his empire from the Ottoman Turks. And that is the real Vlad Tepes. If you want a book you can check out, it's a book by Matthew Beersford, and it's called From Demons to Dracula, The Creation of the Modern Vampire Myth. If you want to learn a lot more about this stuff, it's from 2008. He says that there are clear foundations for the vampire in the ancient world, and it is impossible to prove when the myth first arose. There are suggestions that the vampire was born out of sorcery in ancient Egypt, a demon summoned into the world from some other. There are many variations of vampires from around the world. There are Asian vampires, such as the Chinese Changshi, evil spirits that attack people and drain their life energy, the blood-drinking, wrathful deities that appear in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and so many others. Some ways people identify vampires, of course, they say that they can turn into bats or wolves. But there's also that idea that they cannot cast a reflection. But then again, sometimes they do cast a reflection. Throughout the history, you'll hear things like the holy water will kill a vampire or sunlight will kill, but not every one. So it depends on which source you're looking at. The one universal characteristic, though, with vampires is draining the blood of its victim. And what's kind of cool is if you're a writer, you can kind of take certain rules and break them when it comes to vampires, just like they did in, as I said earlier, in Twilight with the glittery vampire thing. So finding a vampire is not always easy, though. According to one Romanian legend, you'll need a seven-year-old boy and a white horse. And the boy should be dressed in white, placed upon the horse, and the pair set loose in a graveyard at midday. Watch the horse wander around, and whichever grave is nearest the horse when it finally stops is a vampire's grave. According to folklorist Paul Barber in his book, Vampires, Burial, and Death, Folklore and Reality, he says often potential revenants, which are the undead coming to life, they can be identified at birth, usually by some abnormality, some defect, as when a child is born with teeth, Similarly suspicious are children born with an extra nipple, that's in Romania, for example, with a lack of cartilage in the nose or a split lower lip in Russia, when a child is born with a red call or amniotic membrane covering its head, this was regarded throughout much of Europe as presumptive evidence that it is destined to return from the dead. Such minor deformities were looked upon as evil omens at the time. So we know we can stop a vampire with garlic. Some people say stuff garlic in their mouth or a brick in their mouth. The steak would be better instead of wood is using like an iron rod because just like if you listen to my episode of the gin, they fear iron. And so an iron bar would be more effective than just wood. You can cut off their head. That always works. Sunlight, of course. They need to be invited into your house or they can't come in. There's a lot of fun you can have with that too. So just remember, do not invite anybody you might suspect as being a vampire. And so that's this week's episode. And now it's time for the magic number. The magic number is 43. So once again, if you are part of the secret society and it's $8 a month, you will have access to the Elizabeth Bathory bonus episode on the day that this actually airs, like not the early access, but on the day that this Nosferatu episode will be live for everyone. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode. I would love for you to go over to the show notes, jump into the School of Dark Arts Facebook group. It's a free group. And let me know your favorite vampire story, your favorite vampire book, or whatever it is, even a game. Like, uh, till next week, stay safe out there. Be sure to follow me on TikTok at James Ippolitti. I'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. The Real Demons of Pop Culture is a Gorilla Delphia production.